Struggling for Purpose for Monday, December 30th, 2019. My name is John Wilkerson. I'm going to get right into this as soon as I can. Since Christmas Day, I've been sharing a book each day on Twitter and Instagram, and many of these books I read over the past year, and some I'm sharing because I'd like you to know about them, and one I actually plan to start reading on January 1st. Now, if you've been following me on social media, on Twitter or Instagram, you've been seeing a post from me every single day about the 12 books of Bookmas, the 12th day of Bookmas, each day of Bookmas that I'm calling it. And as a podcast listener and as a blog reader, if you read the blog, you'll be getting the entire list before I release them all on the 5th of January. So congratulations to you, I guess. And just a quick note before I get started here, David, Zach, I hope I'm talking fast enough for you now and that I'm not talking too slowly. My daughter's friend and my son both said I talk too slowly on this podcast. All right, so basically what I'm going to do is go through these books. I'm going to read the book's description, and if I have any comments about it, I'll share my comments. So the first one is Haunted House Flipper. This is written by Dan Absalonson. He got a hold of me, I think it was in, actually in 2017 when he got a hold of me, and asked me to read and review the book, which I did. And so here is the description of Haunted House Flipper. Ray is a friendless realtor who stumbles on some supernatural tools, including a sword that can rid a property of evil spirits. He decides to use them to change his career and finally become a house flipper, but on a grander scale. He plans to flip old haunted mansions that no one else will buy, rid them of their evil spirits and renovate them and sell them for a hefty profit. Getting them to leave isn't as easy as he'd hoped, and he has some competition from Bill Baldock, who buys up haunted mansions to destroy them and build apartment complexes in their place. Discover a new world within our own with Ray as he tries to learn how to use his new tools against demons, make new friends, and outsmart new enemies. The second book is Hornet's Nest. This is the sequel to Flight of the Angels. I'm about halfway through this book, and I'm enjoying it. And it's written by Alan and Aaron Rainey. I really like the sci-fi elements in it, and they make a lot. There are a lot of Easter eggs in it that refer to other sci-fi properties. So here's the description for Hornet's Nest. Fear is spreading. On the fringes of coalition space, M2s are hunting down and massacring entire colonies of Christians. The angels, however, are in no condition to respond. Captain Dex DeFalco has been missing for weeks. The Voor twins are incapacitated with a mysterious illness, and rumors about a traitor in their midst threaten to tear the squadron apart from within. At Gen Corps, Derek Mason thought his new promotion would make everything better, 
but he soon realizes that he hasn't yet earned the respect of CEO Carone Jenkins, who seems determined to make his life miserable. When Derek learns of a corporate spy attempting to steal inflammatory secrets, he seeks an opportunity to prove his boss wrong and avenge the death of his parents. Full of breathtaking action and pulse-pounding suspense, Hornet's Nest, the second book in the series, takes the world of Flight of the Angels in exciting new directions, adding greater layers of emotional depth and some shocking twists. Okay, the third book is Kill the Spider. This is one that I haven't read yet, and I'm going to start reading it on January 1st. I'm really looking forward to reading this one. It's by Carlos Whitaker, and the description goes like this. Are you tired of trying to live for Christ only to fail time and time again with the same old behaviors? Do you pray for guidance, ask for deliverance, and vow to do better yet fail to progress? As an author, speaker, pastor, and blogger, At Ragamuffin Soul, Carlos has lived much of his spiritual life in the spotlight. But like any Christian, his faith story has its ups and downs. He spent decades trying to figure out how to be a, quote, better person, end quote. Time and time again, he strived for holiness, only to get caught in the web of destructive habits, behaviors, and thought patterns. In Kill the Spider, Carlos shares personal material ranging from hilarious self-deprecating stories to passion-filled wisdom to show others it's not enough to try and stop sinning. He teaches that knocking out deep-rooted habits and issues comes by treating the issue, not just the symptoms. But the buck stops here, or rather, the spider is killed here. With transparency, humor, and vulnerable stories— Carlos offers a breath of fresh air to any believer looking to finally step into the freedom in Christ. So sit down, open the book, and grab a shoe. We're going on a spider hunt. The fourth book is Blessed, Broken, Given, How Your Story Becomes Sacred in the Hands of Jesus. It's by Glenn Packiam. I heard about this one on the Holy Post podcast, and it intrigued me. And I have to say that this is a book that has really transformed the way I think about myself and what I do. And so I think this is probably one that will bless you as well. And here's the description. An invitation to find beauty and meaning in the ordinary and imperfect aspects of your life, not as a call to settle for less, but rather as a way to mysteriously participate in God's power and purpose. Glenn Packiam wants to empower readers to find great joy, purpose, and passion in their daily living. While bread may be one of the most common items on our dinner tables, Jesus chose to take it at the Last Supper and invest deep, wonderful, and transcendent meaning in it. Like the bread that was blessed, broken, and given, readers will see how God uses ordinary experiences to cultivate their mission and their brokenness to bring healing to the world. The ordinary is not the enemy. It is the means by which God accomplishes the miraculous. Through clear biblical teaching and practical steps, Pacquiam leads the reader into a more purposeful, directed, hopeful future. Denver Moon, The Minds of Mars is the fifth book, This is the 
first one that I would say is not directed at a Christian audience that's going to be on the list. And it's from an author, Warren Hammond, and he was co-written by Joshua Viola. It's very interesting how I learned about Warren. He was an instructor for an online class that I was taking that was related to some Microsoft products. And I had read some of his previous novels. And when I learned that he was the same person, it totally freaked me out. Anyway, I like his writing and I particularly like this novella. There's a follow-up, which I haven't read yet, and I'm looking forward to reading. The description is as follows. Earth is dying. Luna is uninhabitable. Mars is our last chance. Once considered humanity's future home, Mars hasn't worked out like anybody hoped plagued by crime and a terraforming project that's centuries from completion. Mars is a red hell. Denver Moon, P.I., works the dark underbelly of Mars City. While investigating a series of violent crimes linked to red fever, a Martian disorder that turns its victims into bloodthirsty killers, Denver discovers a cryptic message left by Tatsuo Moon, Mars City co-founder and Denver's grandfather the same grandfather who died two decades ago. 20-year-old revelations forced Denver on a quest for truth, but Tatsuo's former friend, Cole Hennessy, leader of the Church of Mars, has other plans and will stop at nothing to keep Denver from disclosing Tatsuo's secrets to the world. Hellbent on reclaiming her grandfather's legacy, Denver, along with her AI implant Smith, companion android Nigel, and shuttle pilot Navia, set out on a quest to find the answers they hope will shed light on the church's true agenda, the origin of red fever, and the mysteries surrounding Tatsuo's tragic death. The day the world came to town, 9-11 in Gander, Newfoundland, is number six on the list. Wow, you want to talk about another book that transformed me. Just seeing how people responded to total strangers on 9-11 in Canada, and it was completely, I mean, they really had, other than airplanes landing there, they had no connection, for the most part, to the events that happened in New York City and in Pennsylvania and in Washington. But this is a really great story, and it really gives you hope for humanity. All right, here's the description. When 38 jetliners bound for the United States were forced to land at Gander International Airport in Canada by the closing of U.S. airspace on September 11, the population of this small town of Newfoundland Island swelled from 10,300 to nearly 17,000. The citizens of Gander met the stranded passengers with an overwhelming display of friendship and goodwill. As the passengers stepped from the airplanes, exhausted, hungry, and distraught after being held on board for nearly 24 hours while security checked all of their baggage, they were greeted with a feast prepared by the townspeople. Local bus drivers who had been on strike came off the picket lines to transport the passengers to the various shelters set up in local schools and churches. Linens and toiletries were brought and donated. A middle school provided showers, as well as access to computers, email, and televisions, 
allowing the passengers to stay in touch with family and follow the news. Over the course of those four days, many of the passengers develop friendships with Gander residents that they expect to last a lifetime. As a show of thanks, scholarship funds for the children of Gander have been formed and donations have been made to provide new computers for the schools. This book recounts the inspiring story of the residents of Gander, Canada, whose acts of kindness have touched the lives of thousands of people and been an example of humanity and goodwill. Okay, so this is normally about where I would end the podcast, and we're only about halfway through this list of books. This is going to be a jumbo edition, I guess you could say. So hang on for the second half of the ride. Book number seven is in the Jewel of the Stars series. This is book number two. It's titled A New Reality, and it's a follow-up to the first book, which I've read already. I have the second book. This is another book that I haven't read yet. It's probably one that I can sit down and read in an afternoon. And it's another one that I'm looking forward to. And just a recommendation for anyone who's looking for, uh, you know, some sci-fi that their kids can read. A lot of this, uh, probably not Denver Moon, but again, this is a Christian author. And he, he keeps it pretty clean. The description reads as follows. Aveline wanted a perfect honeymoon on board the luxury cruise ship Jewel of the Stars. But when an alien invasion of Earth forced her ship into unexplored space, her vacation turns into a life sentence. She's determined to fight with everything she has to hold on to her perfect dream. But why isn't her new husband fighting with her? A series of lootings on the ship turned violent, prompting security chief Jalen Banks to investigate potential organized crime, while First Officer Maya Rice leads a supply mission to a mysterious Earth colony that shouldn't exist. While the invading aliens catch up and strand them on the planet, they meet what might be a new ally. The big question is, can they trust him? Book number eight is A Full Life. Reflections at 90. It is a biography of Jimmy Carter. And this was another book that was really a great book that I really liked reading. Um, I actually listened to this one. And if I recall, Jimmy Carter actually, I can't remember if he narrated this or not. Either way, I think it's one you'll enjoy. And here's the description. In his major New York Times bestseller, Jimmy Carter looks back from 90 years of age and reveals private thoughts and recollections over a fascinating career as businessman, politician, evangelist, and humanitarian. At 90, Jimmy Carter reflects on his public and private life with a frankness that is disarming. He adds detail and emotion about his youth in rural Georgia that he described in his magnificent An Hour Before Daylight. He writes about racism and the isolation of the Carters. He describes the brutality of the hazing regiment at Annapolis and how he nearly lost his life twice serving on submarines in his amazing interview with Admiral Rickover. He describes the profound influence his mother had on him and how he admired his father, even though he didn't emulate him. He admits that he decided to quit the Navy and later enter politics without consulting his wife, Rosalind, and how appalled he is in retrospect. 
In his warm and detailed memoir, Carter tells what he is proud of and what he might do differently. He discusses his regret at losing his re-election, but how he and Rosalind pushed on and made a new life and second and third rewarding careers. He is frank about the presidents who have succeeded him, world leaders, and his passions for the causes he cares most about, particularly the condition of women and the deprived people of the developing world. The ninth book is by John M. Perkins. It's titled One Blood, A Parting Word to the Church on Race. This is another book that transformed me and changed the way I think about race and about the American church. And I think it will change you too. Here's a description. Dr. John M. Perkins is a leading civil rights activist today. He grew up in a Mississippi sharecropping family, was an early pioneer of the civil rights movement, and has dedicated his life to the cause of racial equality. In this, his crowning work, Dr. Perkins speaks honestly to the church about reconciliation, discipleship, and justice, and what it really takes to live out biblical reconciliation. He offers a call to repentance to both the white church and the black church. He explains how Band-Aid approaches of the past won't do, and while applauding these starter efforts, he holds that true reconciliation won't happen until we get more intentional and relational. True friendships must happen, and on every level. This will take the whole church, not just the pastors and staff. The racial reconciliation of our churches and nation won't be done with big campaigns or through mass media. It will come one loving, sacrificial relationship at a time. The gospel and all that it encompasses has always traveled best relationally. We have much to learn from each other, and each have unique poverties that can only be filled by one another. The way forward is to become wounded healers who bandage each other up as we discover what the family of God really looks like. Real relationships, sacrificial love between actual people, is the way forward. Nothing less will do. Book 10 is The Detective by Scott Sigler and Matt Wallace. Just a warning, this is not for kids if you're thinking about letting your kids read this. Well, I don't know. It's a Galactic Football League novella, so uh, maybe your teens. The detective takes place from roughly March 2683 to March 2684, where applicable, the chapters are named to map to the action in the All-Pro, book three in the Galactic Football League. The story actually begins, however, on unknown dates during book two, the starter. In terms of the GFL timeline, the detective runs from roughly week seven of the 2683 regular season in the starter through week 10 of the 2684 regular season in the all pro. And I'm going to have to expand on this a little bit more. I didn't realize that the description was non-descriptive for most people. You don't need to have read these other books, but it's about a secondary character in the galactic football league that is typically hired. That's hired to investigate things and, and help out some of the other football players there and help with the political machinations that are going on in their 
And I think you're good. If, like I said, if, if you're a fan of the GFL, you're going to like this. If you're not familiar with the GFL, you might feel a little lost, but Hey, there's a recommendation. Check out the galactic football league books by Scott Sigler. Uh, I'd recommend it for teens. Probably not for your preteens. Book number 11 is me, myself and Bob. It's by Phil Vischer. Yeah. That guy, the guy who made story about talking vegetables. And it's basically, I wouldn't say it's a complete biography, it's a pretty good book. It talks about how VeggieTales came to be and how things fell apart. It's really a good book. And the description is as follows. This is a story of daydreaming big and working hard, of spectacular success and breathtaking failure, of shouted questions and at long last whispered answers. With trademark wit and heart, Phil Vischer shares how God can use the death of a dream to point us toward true success. Larry, Bob, Archibald, these VeggieTales stars are the most famous vegetables you'll ever, ever eat. Oops, meat. Their antics are known around the world, but so much of the VeggieTales story hasn't been told. And me, myself, and Bob, Phil Vischer, founder of Big Idea and creator of VeggieTales, gives a behind-the-scenes look at his not-so-funny journey with the lovable veggies. From famed creator to bankrupt dreamer, Vischer shares his story of trial and ultimate triumph as God inspired him with one big idea after another. Okay, the final book on the list. If you only read one book out of this entire list, I'm going to say it's this one. It's The Sun Does Shine by Anthony Ray Hinton. And this is another book that really changed my perspective on a lot of things on the criminal justice system and racial equality, inequality that's involved in that justice system. And so here I'm going to let the description stand by itself because I can't really say any more about it. In 1985, Anthony Ray Hinton was arrested and charged with two counts of capital murder in Alabama. Stunned, confused, and only 29 years old, Hinton knew it was a case of mistaken identity and believed the truth would prove his innocence and ultimately set him free. But with no money and a different system of justice for poor black men in the South, Hinton was sentenced to death by electrocution. He spent his first three years on death row at Holman State Prison in agonizing silence, full of despair and anger toward all those who had set an innocent man to his death. But as Hinton realized and accepted his fate, he resolved not only to survive, but find a way to live on death row. For the next 27 years, he was a beacon, transforming not only his own spirit, but those of his fellow inmates, 54 of whom were executed mere feet from his cell. With the help of civil rights attorney and best-selling author of Just Mercy, Brian Stevenson, Hinton won his release in 2015. With a forward by Stevenson, The Sun Does Shine is an extraordinary testament to the power of hope sustained through the darkest times destined to be a classic memoir of wrongful imprisonment and freedom won 
Hinton's memoir tells his dramatic 30-year journey and shows how you can take away a man's freedom, but you can't take away his imagination, humor, or joy. And like I said, if there's one book that you read out of this entire list, I think it needs to be this one. It had a profound impact on me, and this is the one that I think... I mean, I would I would let my 10-year-old listen to this one. There's some material in it that probably would need to be skipped over, but I think for the most part, uh, your tweens and teens could certainly listen to us. There are some difficult topics in it that you would need to discuss with them. But definitely for anyone who is a Christian, uh, who is interested in law enforcement, justice, anything like that, you're going to want to listen to this one. All right, that's going to do it for this installment of Struggling for Purpose Mammoth episode, I know, to finish out the new year. I sort of have a plan for the next episode on the 10th. Not 100% sure if I'm going to follow through with that. But until then, thanks for listening, and thanks for sticking me in your ears. Bye. Oh yeah, one other thing. If you want to support me, buymeacoffee.com slash John Wilkerson. Thanks.